Let's uh, turn to Romans chapter 3, and we left off in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I'm really excited about this section of Scripture. If you've been studying with us uh, for the last few weeks, you know that all of the other studies are leading to this section of Scripture. So I was a little bit bummed that it was so cold tonight, uh, but the Lord knows, and He has you here tonight to hear uh, this study. A man in our fellowship caught me uh, after service last week, and he said, you know, thanks for sharing the bad news, because when sharing the bad news, it makes us rejoice in the good news. And sometimes we need to be reminded of our state outside of Christ and our depravity and making us realize all that Christ has given to us. So what we've seen so far in the book of Romans is the theme is righteousness revealed. It's God's righteousness from heaven. And the reason that we need God's grace is because we're sinners. And so instead of Paul just making that statement that you're, you're a sinner, he builds it up for three whole chapters. And he starts with the unbeliever, someone who hasn't had exposure to God's word, they haven't heard the gospel, how could they be held accountable before the Lord? And it's the revelation of creation. That creation itself points to a creator. And the invisible attributes of God are seen in his creation. We even see God's glory in the cold. It's cold enough on the snowflake when it hits your windshield where you can actually see the pattern of the snowflake uh, right now. And each snowflake has a different design by our creator. And then what Paul deals with, and ultimately the Holy Spirit, is the religious person. The person that thinks because they're moral, because they go to church, because they have God's word, that they're in right standing before the Lord. And as we finish out this chapter tonight, hopefully we've come to a place where we all realize that we need God's grace. In chapter 3, verse 10, uh, look there quickly with me. It says, there's none righteous, no, not one. And then verse 18, it says that there is no fear of God before their eyes. And hopefully what we realize tonight is that this isn't just for somebody else but this is for me. The gospel is not just past tense in our lives, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, but it's present tense. We bring fresh material for Christ to forgive us of every week. Amen? We're in need of his grace. And hopefully we see and make much of God's grace in our lives. I know in my heart, in my life, what won me to the Lord and continues to win me to the Lord is his grace. And I hope you don't fight his grace, resist his grace, Know it fully, share it fully, experience it fully. And so tonight's message is entitled, A Miracle of Righteousness, because it's God taking people who are unrighteous and making us righteous in Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we are excited to be in this section of Scripture, to see your grace, that we're justified, we're redeemed. You have paid the price. You've peased the wrath of the Father for us. We just ask that your grace would be tangible, would be fresh, that we would understand it from an academic perspective, but even more so that we would experience it in our lives, that we would go away on this cold and, and winter night rejoicing in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1, verse 21 of Romans 3, 321 but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So God's righteousness is revealed apart 
from the law. So our first point is righteousness apart from the law. An understanding that it's not through works, it's not through a system of rules, it's not through religion that you can approach the Father. And if you're approaching the Father on the basis of your works, if you're seeking to be declared righteous based on your works, good luck. This verse tells us, but now the righteousness of God, God's righteousness being imputed to our account comes apart from the law. And that's being revealed to us. That's good news. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is good news tonight. That God's righteousness comes to us apart from the law and apart from works. Though we may say that, know that, share that, believe that, preach that, there's still a part of us that goes, God's love, his favor, righteousness can't simply be put to my account based on faith in Christ. That there must be something that I have to do to earn it, to deserve it. That it's dependent on me being a good boy, me being a, a good gal, being righteous and, and being moral. But the gospel is this, it's what he's done. Jesus hung from the cross and he says, it is finished. It's based on his work, it's not based on our works. What separates Christianity from other religions is other religions, it's based on what you do. But Christianity and the truth of scripture is it's based on what Christ does. Isn't that freeing? You're not more forgiven now that you're coming to church. You're not more forgiven now that you're following Jesus Christ. You are forgiven the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness that's revealed apart from the law. And it also tells us that it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. This message of grace and righteousness coming through the blood of Jesus Christ isn't a new message. It's throughout the prophets. It's throughout the law. The law is, is pointing us to, to the Savior. The prophets is pointing to the Savior. We look at the law and the sacrificial system and the animal sacrifice for sin, even Passover, one of the original sacrifices for sin there in Egypt. And it all points to the blood of Jesus Christ. The law points to the blood of Jesus Christ. The prophets prophesied salvation by grace. Isaiah 53, pointing to Jesus. Psalms 22. So you can picture the law and the prophets being <clears throat> the witness of this righteousness that comes apart from works. In verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So the second thing to take note of is it's righteousness through faith. Righteousness by faith. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ. So this is the good news. This is the message of salvation. That we could be declared righteous by God. That God would look down on us tonight and see righteous people not because of our works, but by faith in Christ Jesus, that we could receive this. A lot of times I keep a piece of paper in, in my Bible, and you probably didn't see it tonight. It's my bulletin that I should have read more thoroughly to you. But I heard you guys can read too, so you can read your own bulletin. So anyway, I've got this bulletin, but when it's tucked in my Bible, you don't see it because it's in my Bible. And our sin is robed in Christ's righteousness. Where the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's by faith that it comes into our lives. So simple, but it's profound, isn't it? A lot of people don't take advantage of the offer that's given in Jesus Christ. 
What if someone came to you tonight and said, you know, I deposited $10,000 in your bank account because I was feeling benevolent and I was feeling kind and just wanted to bless you as we get close to the holiday season. You have a choice to make. One, you can go, that's too good to be true. I don't believe it. You don't have the resources to do it. I don't think you're kind enough. Or by faith, you could go online, look at your bank account and go, wow, $10,000 are in there. Even at that point after seeing it, you may not believe it, but then some of you could choose to actually believe it and use that gift that's been given to you. And Christ has died. He rose again. But those who trust and believe in faith, they're the ones who receive the righteousness from God. It's through faith, and it says this. It says, to all and on all who believe. We're the ones who receive the righteousness from God. There's no, no difference. So everyone who's in heaven, everyone who's saved, everyone who's born again, it happens the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. Christianity is narrow. Christ claimed something that was narrow. He said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's not like hiking Pikes Peak where there's several trails that lead to the top. You can drive to the backside and go to the crags and come up from divide side and it's a little bit shorter you can start from manitou springs you can take the train you can drive who knows there's a lot of different ways but as long as you keep going up you're going to make it that's not the way to heaven it's not just well believe in something and it's going to going to work out it's not that god goes well i'm glad that you had faith in, in something your faith is only as good as the object that you place it in isn't that true so it's belief in Jesus, it's faith in Jesus that he's God, that he died, that he rose again, and it takes humility to receive salvation by faith. There's some that want works because if salvation were by works, then we could boast. But if it's by Christ alone, we can't boast. We have to point to the giver, we have to point to the one who gives the grace. Verse 23, a famous verse in the Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can look up all in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, and you'll find out all means all. All means everybody. All have sinned. The word sinned, it means to miss the mark. So the idea is that you're, you're intending to try to have perfection, but if you miss by just a little bit, that, that is sin. Jesus defines sin also in the Sermon on the Mount by the attitudes of our hearts. It's our actions, but it's also the condition and the attitude of our hearts. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. If somehow that doesn't hold weight with you this evening, go back and read chapter 1, 2, and 3. And look at Paul's argument as he takes people into God's courtroom and he begins to point out the sin in our lives. Also notice it says, all have sinned and fall short. So there is that element of sin in our lives, and then there's that element where we miss that mark of perfection. Notice what the standard is here. It's the glory of God. You may be comparing to the wrong standard. You might feel like you're doing pretty well compared to your family. You know, well, if you, if you knew my mom, if you knew my dad, if you knew my brother, I'm doing pretty well. Or, you know, my neighbors, they're I'm doing pretty good. My coworkers, yeah, do, doing pretty good according to the, to the coworkers. 
But the standard isn't other humans, it's, it's the glory of God. Dr. Donald Barnhouse, he wrote this great volume on the book of Romans. He called it the divine measure. And you think about a, a, a yardstick here. And at the top, you have the glory of God. How close do you get to the glory of God? Maybe some would say 75%. Some would say 98%. Some might say 2%. But the reality of it is, is we all fall short of the glory of God. Anybody like an excellent swimmer here tonight? We got kind of a small group. Just let me know. You're, you're an awesome swimmer. Anybody? Nobody swims in Colorado? All right. You, you know I'm going to pick on you, huh? So we got one awesome swimmer. Anybody that's like, I'm a mediocre swimmer. All right. Lots of mediocre swimmers. Anybody have the humility to say, I just don't know how to swim? It's okay. All right. Great. Praise the Lord. Appreciate that. So we got one excellent swimmer, a lot of mediocre swimmers and a handful of people that don't swim. So we're going to take all of us, and we're going to teleport to a nice, warm location this evening. Sound good? (laughs) Tropical beach location. Let's go with Florida. Mm, Nice. Probably a lot warmer in Florida this time of year. And we get into the Atlantic Ocean, and we take our excellent swimmer, our mediocre swimmers, and our non-swimmers, and all of you have the task to swim over to England. Now, she's going to get farther because she's an excellent swimmer, especially to those of you that don't know how to swim. But ultimately, what's going to be the final destination of everyone? We all drowned. We're all not going to make it. And you can do this comparing game, but this is where that line of thinking is faulty if our conclusion is I only need 2% of God's grace or I only need 50% of God's grace or I only need 75% of God's grace Because once you fall, you fall completely. And we all equally need God's grace. So you can't take somebody who we would put down here on the standard and someone we'd put up here on the standard. The reality is, is we all have level footing at the cross. We all need to be justified. And I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to try to put people in different categories and think, well, I only needed this much of God's grace. No, I was going to drown just like everybody else. And I needed God's grace to the fullest extent. Now, this is where it gets really, really, really exciting. Verse 24, it says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So let's focus on each phrase. First, being justified. In, in the Greek, it's in the aorist tense. And you're saying, who cares? So what? You know, it's really cold outside. I don't want to talk about Greek tense. This is why this is exciting is because the aorist tense is an activity that continually happens in our lives. It's like eating. That's something that we do continually in our lives. And being justified is an activity that continually happens in our lives. So what does justification mean? It means to be declared righteous. Some have described it as just as though I've never sinned. It's being declared to the righteous to the point where our wrongs get wiped out. So because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're going from a position of being condemned to a position of being justified, declared righteous by the Lord. I don't know if you think of yourself this way. When you think of your sin and your struggle, a lot of times we condemn ourselves, we live in guilt, but from God's perspective, you're declared righteous. From God's perspective... 
You're in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're in his son. So he looks at you and he goes, it's just as though you've never sinned. Isn't that exciting? And that's continually happening in our lives. So we mess up today, we sin today, and God declares us righteous. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's our advocate before the Father. We're, we're justified before him. We are declared righteous. And how does this happen? It happens freely by his grace. So first we have being justified freely by his grace. And the word freely, it means without a cause. In John 15, 25, Jesus speaking of himself says, they've accused me without a cause. Same Greek word. And here we find it translated as freely. The message is this, is there was nothing in and of myself that would earn or deserve God justifying me. It wasn't like God looked down and goes, oh, you know, you're so good at this, or you're doing so many good things here. God looked down and go, there's really no reason for me to be gracious to you. God is simply being gracious because he is gracious. And the word gracious, it's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor that's given to us. It's loving kindness. It's mercy. Some have described it this way, an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. God can justify you because of what Christ has done. He can be gracious to us based on what Christ has done for us. Think about a, a moment in time in your life where you received something that you didn't deserve. That it was a gift of grace. It's one of the more powerful moments in life, I think. For me, there's been several, but one that stands out to me is I grew up in Southern Oregon and was really involved in my church there and went to the school ministry there. And then after my school ministry, I made a commitment that I would go on the mission field for a year with my church to a place called Vanuatu. You guys heard of it because of Survivor? So they, did you guys know that? Anybody know that? A few years ago, everybody's like, no, I didn't know that. But this guy knew it would be awesome. So there's this island in the South Pacific called Vanuatu. And they did a survivor show out there. But this was prior to that. And our church had a Bible school there. And they speak English. So you could go for a year and teach these other men uh, about ministry. And I made a really mature choice. I decided to make this commitment to go to Vanuatu in an hour. So my church asked me, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I didn't, you know, talk to my parents. I didn't talk to my friends that knew me really well. And if you would have asked me at the time really what my heart was towards, it was towards the United States. But I just signed up for this year commitment. Then the trip got delayed. You know, we were supposed to leave and then we didn't leave. And I just more and more was not feeling called to be able to go. So long story made it even longer. No, made shorter is I backed out on my commitment. And I left my good friend kind of in a tough place and my, my church in a tough place. And then went out to Idaho and started beginning a journey in ministry there. And eventually led to here to be a youth pastor. And then when I was being considered to be our senior pastor here at Rocky Mountain, they talked to my home church. And they said, what do you think about Eric being our new senior pastor and being the, the lead pastor? And I'm thinking, oh no, you know. <laughs> I mean, the, the leadership here knew that whole story. It wasn't like I was, you know, was hiding that or anything. They, they knew about that 
episode of my life, but now they were going to talk to my pastor that I grew up with his kids and, you know, said yes, then said no, and I was just wondering what he was going to say and building this all up in my mind, and he gave me this excellent report. I mean, he just said, bam, here it is, and just, he'd be great, and all this stuff, and he just lavished grace upon me. And then I, I saw him during that period, and, you know, I apologized, and he just looked at me, and he said, Eric, I don't know what you're talking about. It was just as though I'd never sinned, right? It was grace that was given upon me. It was unearned, undeserved, and an unmerited favor, and it impacted me deeply. And if you're in a place where you know you deserve judgment, you know you deserve consequences, and you get the exact opposite, that's grace, and we're justified freely by his grace. If you stop and you get a traffic violation and you're clearly guilty, you're going grossly over the speed limit, and the police officer gives you a warning, that's mercy. Judgment is to write you the ticket. He gives you mercy. He gives you the warning. But then if he were to give you a $200 bill, that's grace. You get the idea? It's unearned, it's undeserved, it's, it's unmerited favor. And this is what God has done with us in the person of Jesus Christ. We deserve judgment, no doubt. But instead, he gives us the exact opposite, and he gives us the greatest, most undescribable gift. He gives us his son. He gives us himself so that we could be declared righteous. We're, we're being justified freely by his grace. And then, it goes on and says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what does justified mean? Declared righteous, all right? Grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, redemption. And these are big Bible words, but I hope tonight we can take the cookies and put them right down on the shelf where we all understand it and can access it. Redemption means to buy back, to purchase back. And the greatest illustration of redemption, unfortunately, is slavery, and that was very common in the Roman Empire. And in the Greek language, they had several words that they used to describe redemption. And one of the Greek words was to buy a slave for the purpose of setting them free so that they would never be a slave again. And that's the Greek word that's used here. Is we're purchased out of our sin to be set free, to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's part of God's grace. That's what's being displayed here in these verses. We deserve judgment, we're given justification, and we're purchased by God. That he loved us that much to purchase us out of sin. One of the best illustrations that I've ever heard of redemption is a boy who made this sailboat and lived close to one of the, the Great Lakes. And he decided to put his boat, his prized possession that he created, on the Great Lakes and you can figure out what happens next. The wind comes, blows his boat, he loses his boat. And some months later, he's walking through a shop and he sees his boat. He goes to the owner and tries to prove, this is my boat. And the owner says, sorry, son, if you want this boat, you're going to have to buy it. So he saved up his money to redeem his boat. See, and that's the message of redemption is God created us. We sold ourselves into sin and then he purchased us back as the creator, as the one who rightfully owned us. But in a sense, he purchased us twice. He created us, but then he bought us back. We're redeemed. And all of these things show us the value 
that God places on us because he desires a relationship with us. Do you think God justified you to have nothing to do with you? Do you think God redeemed you to not be in fellowship with you? He died to be with you. He, he died so that we could be in fellowship with him and have our joy be made full. I know I'm going incredibly slow on these verses, but they're just so rich. The end of verse 24 says, in Christ Jesus. The reason that justification can come, redemption can come, is because of our position in Christ Jesus that we've received through faith. Can I just speak to your heart tonight? God's a God of redemption. That's who he is. He delights in buying back where sin is destroyed, where sin has messed up. May you know that in your life, even as a believer, where sin continues to wreck us, God wants to redeem. He wants to make beauty where there's ashes. He wants to build where the things have been broken down. And then how do we see our friends, our family, our community, our world that we live in? A lot of material that's ripe for God's redemption. Amen? So we see the messes. We see the brokenness. We see the bondage to sin. And we know the answer. It's Christ. And his answer is greater than our failure. So may we be encouraged of that in our own lives and encourage that to share with others. That's a message that the government doesn't have. The government doesn't have the message of redemption in, in Christ Jesus. The schools don't have the message of redemption in, in Christ Jesus. Your boss probably doesn't have the message of Christ's redemption. Maybe he does. Maybe she does. But, but probably not. But guess what? You do. You do. There might not be a lot of people on your street that know the message of redemption and know the Redeemer personally, but we do. And when someone's life is broken, when it's messed up, when it's hurting, to say, somebody loves you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And if you'll turn to him in faith, he'll declare you righteous. He'll redeem you. He'll buy you back. And no one's ever beyond the redemption of God, the rebuilding of God, whether it's a believer's life that's been wrecked, or an unbeliever's life, God's a God of redemption through his son Jesus. In verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's a mouthful, propitiation. When I first started pastoring, everyone loved to tell me how I mispronounced that one. So I'm just going to say it over and over again. Propitiation, propitiation, pro 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 propitiation. What, what in the world does it mean? It means this. It means to appease the wrath of. So by his blood, God's wrath was appeased. God was so offended by our sin that it actually provoked in him a righteous anger. It provoked in him a righteousness to judge us according to our sin. And when Christ died, he appeased that wrath so that we could receive the forgiveness of God. Never under, misunderstand justification, redemption. It came at a great price. And the price was the blood of Jesus. What's interesting about this is it takes us back to the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was one day a year where the high priest would offer sacrifice. The lamb would be slain and would sprinkle blood upon the Ark of the Covenant and specifically the mercy seat. And in the Old Testament, we find that exact same word that's used 
that's now used in the New Testament to describe the grace that's given to us for God to appease the wrath. So we go back to the Old Testament, and one day a year on the Day of Atonement, God's saying, through animal sacrifice, my wrath is appeased, and that was ultimately a point going to that point when Jesus died for us. Again, this is good news. I think some of us think God's still mad at us. We think, oh no, I blew it. God's just waiting to fry my face off. He's waiting to judge me. And instead of being an object of God's wrath, we're an object of God's favor because he appeased the wrath of God through his blood. And throughout the Old Testament, there was the sacrificing of blood, the animal sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin, ultimately pointing to the need for the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sins. First time John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the sacrifice that's going to be crucified for us to take away our sin. One of the greatest things that could happen tonight is to know going away that you're highly favored by God. That you're not under his wrath, that you're under his forgiveness. And hopefully these last few weeks in studying Romans on Wednesday night have been really life-giving to us. Because our circumstances might be bad. The house might be getting foreclosed on. There may be cancer. There may be relational difficulty. There may be this and there may be that. But you're not under God's wrath. You're forgiven. You're in the blood of Jesus. It's paid for. It's covered. It's wonderful truths that are given to us in the grace of God. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. There's this dilemma that's found inside of God's nature and it's that God is love but yet God is also light. That God is merciful, but yet God is just. Let's say for sake of an example, there was a 10-year-old boy, this is difficult, but a 10-year-old boy who murdered a toddler, murdered his sibling, and these kinds of things happen. Can you imagine the kind of dilemma that would be inside of you? There would be a heart for justice, wouldn't there? This two-year-old has been killed. But there would also be a heart probably of mercy for this 10-year-old. Here's a a 10-year-old that's going to have life in prison. This 10-year-old maybe in some societies that would have the death penalty because he's committed murder. What if there was a jury or a judge that then just said to this 10-year-old, well, because he's only 10 and he's really, we can't really hold him accountable, so we're going to let him go free And in fact, we're going to show him grace as he goes free. And he's going to have a free college education. We're going to make sure that he gets some new Nikes and a free lunch ticket and all these kind of things. You would scream out, injustice. You know, I'm paying for my own kids' education. They took out student loans and they're going to be paying for the education for 30 years. It's more than my mortgage, you know. And here he is, he's done this, but he gets a free college tuition. So we see with God that he's just, but he's merciful. So if he just said, okay, I'm going to forgive sin without sin being held accountable to, there would be an outcry. And that's why 
verse 26 is so profound is that at the cross, he became just and the justifier. In propitiation, he became just and the justifier. No one can cry foul to God because he punished Jesus for our sin at the cross. So in order for God to give me grace, he punished his son. There's the physical aspects of the cross, but there's the spiritual aspects of the cross. He experienced the wrath of the Father so that I could be forgiven. He was forsaken so that I'd have the promise that I would never be forsaken. He was just. He paid the price. But he was also the justifier. And that he was able to take wretched sinners and say, I declare you righteous because my son has paid the penalty. So you've got a 17-year-old boy in a rural town in the Midwest He's raising ruckus. He likes to drive fast, reckless driver. Gets taken in, arrested, goes before the judge. And this young man's feeling pretty arrogant, pretty smug, because he looks and his dad's the judge. He's thinking, I'm, I'm not going to jail. No consequences for me. This is working out pretty well. And his dad then gives the sentence to his son, says, you've lost your driver's license, Here's the penalty that's going to be paid. Here's the jail time that needs to be given. But it's not the end of the story. Because then the father takes off his robe as judge. And he says, as judge, I gave you your sentence. But now as your father, he writes out the check. And he pays the penalty for his son. And chooses to spend the time in jail. So he was just, but he was also the justifier. And that's what God did at the cross. Grace and mercy and justice kiss at the cross where he's just and he's the justifier. Amazing. Only God could do that. Isn't that good news? So we end this chapter tonight with the truth that there's no boasting. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law or works? No, but by the law of faith. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be anybody boasting. There's not going to be anybody going, look what I did, or I deserve to be here. There's only going to be praise and adoration to Jesus Christ. Because the only reason that we deserve to be there is because of his blood. So let's talk about works for just a moment. Why do we do works? Why does it matter to live a moral life? Why does it matter to serve and be involved in, in God's kingdom? Well, it's not to earn or deserve God's favor. I think that good works become much more meaningful if they get out of the realm of legalism. If you're approaching God saying, God, I've got to act this way, I've got to do these things because I'm trying to earn a paycheck with you. Maybe you're a little bit disgruntled because you're like, God, I just seem to be doing the right thing, but yet I know somebody who keeps doing the wrong thing and you keep blessing them. I'm getting shortchanged here. And when you can get past that and realize, I'm not trying to do these works in order to have God's favor, have God's blessing. I'm simply responding to what he's already done out of worship. This is a way for me to say, God, I love you. I want to be close to you. Thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for the acceptance that you have given to me. Maybe there's been a key relationship in your life at some point where you were always trying to to earn or deserve acceptance. Maybe it was with a parent or with a boss or even your spouse. You're saying, I've got to do this in order for them to 
accept me. Isn't that a great burden to bear? But then there's maybe another relationship where someone accepts you unconditionally. They go, you know, quite honestly, you don't look very good today. You've had a bad hair day, your breath smells, but I accept you. I love you for who you are, you know? I just, I love you. I accept you. You failed, that's okay. I love you. I'm committed to you. I accept you. You belong to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're, you're my spouse. You're my friend. And there's comfort in that. And there's trust and there's closeness. And you find yourself valuing that kind of relationship and responding to it in a deeper way. For some reason for me, growing up in the church, I just didn't get this. I really thought God gave me his favor if I did my part. If I read my Bible, if I made right decisions, if I didn't drink, if I didn't chew, if I didn't go with girls that do, then I'd be all right, you know, and don't go to bad movies, and, that, and then, then God would give favor. See, and, and God gave his favor with his son upon the cross, and the moment that you believed in Christ, you were justified, you were declared righteous, he loved you while you were yet a sinner, and we don't want to do sinful things because we don't want to hurt our relationship with him. But it's not that we're trying to earn or deserve his favor. We're responding to it. So when we get to heaven, there's no boasting. When we get to heaven, there's no trying to earn or deserve this favor of God. There's simply worship to to the Lord. So if there's going to be no boasting in heaven, it would be wise if there was no boasting now. And we could boast in the grace of God that it's his love for us and, and what he's done. In verse 28, it says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. And as we've been talking, really our third point from verse 24 down is it's righteousness from Christ's work. It's righteousness from Christ's work. This is the conclusion statement where Paul has been giving to us as a lawyer, making arguments. He says, therefore we conclude a man's declared righteous by faith. He's justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. It's Christ's work not his, his own work. In verse 29, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the gods of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. This is very easy for us to read and us to accept that God's the God of the Jew and the Gentile. But if you were a Jew at this time, it'd be very difficult for you to accept that God loved and saved the Gentiles the same way. And when we talk about grace, And salvation through grace, it's leveling the ground. And maybe you've heard this expression, that the ground's level at the foot of the cross. And what that means is, we equally need the grace of God. So there's not somebody that's closer to God and someone that's farther from God. It's not that the Jews could be saved by works and the Gentiles have to be saved by grace. It's the same way. Isn't this exciting? People in England are saved by God's grace through faith. People in Uganda... They're saved by God's grace through faith. People in South America, people in Nicaragua, people in Morocco, we're all saved the same way. It's God dealing with the hearts of of humanity. In verse 30, since there is one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, it's through faith. So here's the question at the end of the chapter. Do we then make void the law through faith? So what's the purpose of the law if salvation comes through faith, not according to our works? So 
Are we canceling out the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the moment that you receive Christ through faith, you're establishing the purpose of the law because the law was given to be our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. Early on in our study, it showed us that the law reveals sin. If there was no posted law for a speed limit, you would have no understanding of speeding. Understand that? There has to be law in order to point out our, our sinfulness. And so that was the purpose of the law, was to show us our need for Jesus Christ. If the law wasn't given, our tendency would be this, I don't need Jesus, just give me some rules, and I'll follow the rules. So God gave us a bunch of rules, so we would be absolutely certain that we need Jesus Christ. And the very nature of rules brings out our disobedience. If someone says, don't do this, what does it make you want to do? Do it. There was an example of a hotel that was having problems with people fishing off of their balconies. So they went and hired an analysis, a researcher, to come in and give them some advice on how to be able to solve this problem. And the research came back and said, simply remove the signs on the balconies that say no fishing. Because <laughs> as soon as people saw that law, that rule, no fishing, what did they do? They decided to fish off the balcony. I would have never thought of that without the rule. Don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of it. Don't do it. Don't think of a pink elephant. How many of you thought of a pink elephant? All right. I only got five of you. Now you're thinking about a pink elephant. See, law brings us to the place of realizing that we need a Savior. So as we close tonight, in conclusion of this, I'm reading a book, and the book gave this analogy and illustration. The author of the book said he's got a friend that was really into roses, expert on roses, three or four hours a day caring for his roses, knew the best nurseries, had the websites down, the website addresses, everything, Give, giving away roses in the community. People knew to talk to him about the roses. And one day, after working in his rose garden, he was looking out the window, and he'd realized that he'd never stopped to enjoy the beauty of his own roses. So here he is, sharing it with others, the expert on roses, but he wasn't experiencing it in his own life. And a lot of times, that's the way we are as believers, we're experts on the grace of God. We share the grace of God. We know what it means. We can tell you the biblical definition of redemption, but we haven't taken the time to stop and be in awe of it and experience it. One of the great things about a cold day where it's zero degrees, it's coffee. I went over my limit of coffee today. <laughs> if you can't tell, it happened. Because I couldn't just look at the coffee and smell the coffee without enjoying the coffee. And tonight, we've described God's grace. And like a cup of coffee, you can see it sitting there, you can smell it, you can see it, but you've got to pick it up and drink it. And it's the same way with God's grace. Pick it up and drink it and believe it afresh. And if you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, as we take communion come find us, we'll be here on the side, and it's through faith. As you trust in Christ through faith, you'll be saved.
It's not through your works. It's not through trying to be a good person. It's not through, through going to church. And as God's child tonight, and as we take communion, by faith, experience this afresh. God, I'm declared righteous. That's the last thing that I deserve. But you have declared me righteous. And God, that's a label that I'm going to wear proudly. Thank you that I'm justified. Thank you that I'm redeemed, that you bought me out of this place of sin. Never to be sold back. God, you saved me for the purpose of, of being free. That P word that I can hardly pronounce, propitiation, God, thank you that you've taken the wrath for me. I deserved such a big spanking from you, God, and you took it yourself upon the cross. God, I thank you and I, I rejoice in you. And fix your eyes there and rejoice there and know that you're loved by the Lord. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We rejoice in who you are, that you've given yourself to purge us from our sins. And we want to know you in a greater way. We want to understand you in a greater way. And as we take communion tonight, may your grace be afresh in our lives. May these truths be experienced in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.